I just got back from Alaska and had a wonderful time up there. It is true uh, that we are able to reach uh, the unreached and the unre- what would seemingly be the unreachable. Um, by aviation, we're able to go in there, fly in there, spread the message of Jesus Christ, and leave, there, leave them with the message of hope. Um, Alaska, we, uh, we have really more operations up there than I even realized. Uh, we have uh, two aircraft. Actually, we have more than two, uh, two that belong to Adventist World Aviation. We're soon to have a Kodiak up there. Uh, we're working on closing uh, the program on that, and we hope in the next several months, and I ask you to pray uh, that we can put the program together, that we can get a Kodiak up there. A Kodiak, for those of you that don't know, uh, it, uh, for those of you who are sort of familiar with aviation, it looks sort of like a Cessna Caravan, a very large uh, uh, aircraft, single-engine aircraft with a turbine uh, uh, power plant. So it's a very safe uh, aircraft, and uh, we can take off uh, and land at Gross. Uh, which is just an incredible aircraft, uh, up to 13 passengers on board, so we can do even more. So we hope to have that up in Alaska uh, very soon. But uh, the area that I went to Alaska is just outside of Dillingham, and uh, uh, right outside of, of Dillingham, I'll leave that up there for now, uh, 15 nautical miles away, uh, almost directly west of Dillingham, is a little village called Manakotak. Manakotak is a, uh, a village that you just can't reach by normal means. Uh, in the spring and in the summer, there's no way to get there really at all uh, except for aviation. In, in the wintertime, they, they uh, can get back and forth by what we would call snowmobiles. They call them snow, mo- uh, snow machines up there. And so you can go back and forth very easily with snow machines, but uh, it's in, just impossible to reach uh, by any other means. If the water levels are high enough in the tundra, you can follow some of the, uh, the river areas on there by boat if you're lucky but most likely you'll get up, uh, get caught down in the bog. So I flew every day. I was hoping to get at least log in my logbook at least one hour uh, up in Alaska, but I logged over 18 hours in a, in a short period of time, just in a few weeks up there, going back and forth, little 15, uh, less than 10-minute hops, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And what were we doing going back and forth? We were doing evangelism. I, I did a series of meetings up there. There was one light in that community of Manakodak, of uh, a, a community of 450 people, just one person uh, there that uh, understood the Adventist faith, and she was so hoping to have a church in Manakodak. Well, we held a series of meetings there, and we fulfilled that dream. We baptized 11 more, including her husband and her children and uh, some of the family community members. There is a brand-new church in Manakodak, Alaska right now as a result of the meetings in Adventist World Aviation being able to go in there. Well, of course, it's not ours. It's God's. Amen? So we have a really exciting uh, story to tell up there. We're happy that that happened, and it's just exciting to be part of Adventist World Aviation. You know, airplanes are not the means to an end. It's just a tool that we use uh, to, uh, to facilitate the gospel message. Adventist World Aviation was uh, founded by uh, uh, Elder Falkenberg many years ago. It was, de- it was developed out of a need and necessity uh, because the church was kind of concerned about the, uh, the legal matters of aviation, Elder Falkenberg being a pilot himself. How many know Elder Bob Falkenberg? Have you heard of that name before? He was our uh, GC president back in the 90s. Uh, how many knew that he was a pilot or he is a pilot? Uh, quite a few. Well, how many know now that he's a pilot? All right. Uh, Elder Falkenberg is a very highly qualified pilot, uh, commercial instrument rating, and uh, just a wonderful man. He came down here a couple years ago and uh, worked with us in our fly-in down here, and uh, we asked him to share the story. And, and uh, in 1993, 
Uh, he collected the uh, GC officers. They met at Andrews University and uh, developed the concept of Adventist World Aviation, set up its board of directors, and uh, we were born out of the need for uh, GC uh, lack of support and uh, what was taking place. So uh, the GC officers were smart. Uh, they use their kidneys, I guess, is the old saying. Uh, goes and so they developed us now the thing is we had to be set up as a separate institution to indemnify the church we don't receive funding from the seventh day adventist church directly now we can through local churches through donations we're a hundred percent donor funded ministry uh, which means that we don't receive large buckets of money from the gc we cannot because of of the concern for uh, uh you know the loss prevention's concern so we depend 100% on your donation. And I hope you will be generous in your donation as you leave here uh, this afternoon. Think about it. Pray about it. I'm sorry we didn't bring uh, uh, our envelopes with us or our magazines with us, but please come by to EAA. We've got one more day there. Come by our booth. Now, this year we are at the Comanche Society. We've got a very interesting plane there at the Comanche Society. It's a PA-24-250. It's a 1961. It was built in 1961. Uh, it's actually a 1963 model. It was sold uh, to an American hero by the name of Henry Oya. It's the first single-engine uh, Comanche to cross the Pacific from Oakland, California to uh, Tokyo, Japan. And he went there via um, Honolulu, Hawaii, and then he went up to Wake and Guam and Midway and then uh, on his way up to Okinawa and then up to uh, Japan. Worked out and uh, uh, mended some relations of the tensions between our two countries at the time after the Bay of Pigs. And as a result of it, you uh, have Sony products in your, uh, in your house today. So uh, Henry Oyo is an American hero that helped man relationship. Come by, see the very plane that he flew. It's now part of our fleet. Um, a fellow by the name of Elder Lloyd Jensen of uh, California. He was the uh, ministerial director for many years up in, uh, up in Canada. Uh, Charlene West, our uh, attorney, she worked for Elder Jensen for many years. And uh, in the trust services out in California as well. Uh, it was very gracious. He donated that plane to us to put it on Goodwill Mission Journeys, and it's still doing Goodwill Mission Journeys to this day. One of the things that we want to do with our Comanche is uh, uh, do local mission work with it here. Um, many times uh, there are those that need an angel flight. How many are familiar with angel flight? An angel flight is it's a non-emergency medical flight that's usually taking somebody that needs a cancer treatment, like maybe up to the Mayo Clinic or, or some other place. Uh, or some other non-emergency type medical service where the journey of the car is just too hard and arduous on the, on the patient, but yet a, a nice flight. Uh, it's done uh, by donation uh, of the person that owns the aircraft, and we want to use it for that type of work, uh, local angel flights. Uh, one of the flights that we did with it here not too long ago was uh, delivering an elderly uh, person to his new location. It was too far to uh, drive, uh, and it was uh, really not uh, uh, conducive for uh, uh, commercial aviation. So... Uh, through the gift of uh, a donated uh, pilot and a donated plane, they were able to deliver him uh, to a new location. So we're hoping to do that uh, at an extended level with the Tokahana or our Comanche. So pray about it helping us uh, in that level become a good ambassador for Jesus. By doing that, we're able to share the love of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So um, I'm just going to kind of quickly breeze through this. Um, what we're about is building the kingdom. What we, go, what we find when we go into a community of unreached is we find desperation, disease, and death. What we leave them with by, by delivering their, uh, their sick and delivering them food supplies and clean water, what we leave them with is hope, health, and the promise of eternal life. Can you say amen to that? And so Adventist World Aviation brings a message of hope by delivering their physical needs, which builds a foundation for their future. 
Very quickly, and then we're going to get, I'm going to ask our boys to go to our first slide there of our sermon. But I just want to say this. There are almost 7 billion people on planet Earth. Of those 7 billion people that are on planet Earth, 2 billion of them have never heard of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? 2 billion. We've got a work to do. Now, just to give you an idea how large a billion is, if you were to start, if I was to promise you a billion dollars, but the caveat is, is you've got to count them before you could receive the billion $1 bills, how many would take that billion dollars? Would you take it? A couple of kids raised their hands. Some of you are suspicious because I'm telling this. You don't even know why you would or wouldn't take it. You think, no catches, no, no, no other catches. You just got to count one billion $1 bills. How many would do that? Come on. One billion one dollar bills, would you try? How many would like to try? You'd like to try? It would be kind of fun. Do you have any idea how long it would take you to count to one billion? Anybody know? Give me a give me a number. How long? An hour. Well, it would take an hour at least. Anybody any other numbers? Ninety years? Well, that's what it would take to count to two billion. We'll just shortcut it. If you could count one per second, 24 hours a day, not eating, not sleeping, not, you know, anything. If you could average one per second, it would take about 90 years. It's 33 and a half years to count to one billion. So that's how many people have not heard of Jesus Christ. Two billion people. So we got a hard work to do. Amen? Even if, you know, but the way we can reach them is through aviation. Now, of that two billion people, there are 800 million of that 200 billion people that can only be reached by means of aviation. Now, we can get there if we jump on a donkey and ride for uh, 30 days or so, uh, but uh, that's going to take a while. Or we can take an hour flight and meet them and meet their needs and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many want to help get that job done? Amen? Amen. All right, let's get to our sermon. So, boys, can you start it right at the uh, sermon start there? True disciples, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this day, the Sabbath day that you've given us. And I pray that as we come together and break the bread of life, that you will give us wisdom and clarity of thought and understanding of this, your word. We thank you for it. And in Jesus' name we pray and we all say, amen. I want to talk about true disciples. Man shall not live by what? By bread alone. So we use ourselves to become a vehicle to share the bread of life. It's the only way, it's the only way somebody is going to hear the truth about our Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch was traveling along the road one day, and he's reading, you remember what book he was reading? Reading the book of Isaiah, and he's reading it like many of us read the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and you just go blah, 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 and you go, what in the world was that all about? You ever had that experience before? You just read it, and it just makes absolutely zero sense. Well, if you haven't done it, go to the book of Numbers, and you'll have that experience. You know, it's just, it's a hard book to understand. And many of us have a hard time understanding the book of Revelation and other books as well, but it just seems like just so much wind and words and just word salad sometimes. And what did the Ethiopian eunuch tell Philip when Philip asked him the question, do you understand what it is that you're reading? What was the answer? Well, how can I understand unless... Somebody explains it to me. So we need to be involved with the explanation. Now, your ministry can begin at home. We had worship this morning, and we discovered in our worship this morning, we're reading the book Conflict and Courage by uh, Sister Ellen White. Wonderful book. I recommend that you you look at it. But this morning, in, in August 3rd, she recommends that, you know what, your ministry begins at home. And even with your own children, if you're ministering to them, raising your children up in the eyes of the Lord, you're doing something positive in God's church. Can you say amen? 
And so now what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, really only a guest speaker can get away with. You know, your pastor can't say what I'm going to say, your local elders, because everybody's going to think that they're talking about them and I'm picking on you. And, and, and I'll give you this little warning. Don't sit there and think, boy, I sure wish, wish Brother Bill or Sister Bertha were here to hear this sermon because they sure need it. You ever been tempted to say that before? If you've ever said that before, really, you know, you're the one that needs to hear it. <laughs> so anyway, what I'm going to talk about is true discipleship in the church. Now, the church is not just this church, but it's us. It's what we do. It's Adventist World Aviation. It's, it's you and your own pews here. It's what you do. It's not this building. It's a part of who we are. Now, the church has enough true believers. We really do. We have enough true believers. We don't need it. You know, and, and the reason I say that is because even the devil himself believes that Jesus is the Christ. Are you with me? Do you th- is there anybody in here that thinks that the devil doesn't think that? He knows that Jesus is the Christ. He believes that. He doesn't accept it. He doesn't want to accept his, his grace or any of that that goes along with it. So we've got enough believers, but what we need are true disciples. We need people that are willing to minister in their homes, in their communities, uh, you know, and, and in their lives, in, in their work, whatever it is that you do. We need more disciples in our church. And that's what we at Adventist World Aviation try to do. Jesus said in Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And that's what we're all about. We're about sharing the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Isn't that wonderful? I can't wait till that happens. For where your, read it with me. For where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Is it, is it locked up in your automobile that's parked out outside or in your garage? Is it, is it in your home? Is it in your career? Where is your treasure? Heaven. Is it in your airplane maybe? You know, ooh, God forbid we talk about that, right? Let not your heart be troubled, God says. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Well, let's see, this thing's moving a little slower. We had to use a different computer up here because mine didn't work. I didn't have the plug for it. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants, but those, uh, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Have you noticed that before? That Jesus is telling us that there are many of us who are just sitting here waiting for something to happen. Then there are those that are, uh, you know, expecting Jesus to come at all. Nothing's going to happen. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at the hour. What's it say? That you do not expect. So what are we to do? Are we to walk the walk, yes or no? I mean, we have Seventh-day Adventists. One of the interesting phenomenons I have found, I've been in this church for many years now, and I've been preaching in this church for over 25 years. 
coming up. And, and uh, we started, I started full-time in the ministry. I started a little late for as old as I am. I started in 1993. But since that point in time, I have been preaching in our church. But I've had the occasion to preach and work with other churches. And what's interesting to me, it's just a strange phenomenon. I've never understood this. Maybe some of you will come to me and give me an answer. And I've asked this from time to time. I've never had a sane answer. Where are we during the rest of the week? In other churches, on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday night program, the church, in many cases, are even more full than they are on a Sunday. It's so bizarre. Yet, in a Seventh-day Adventist church, anyone I've ever been to, except for some in third-world countries, where they're just as full every time you have a meeting there, during the midst of the week, we're not around. Now, it's not about doing church that makes us blessed. Maybe you're out in the field. I don't know. You know, maybe you're out there uh, spreading the good message of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's been said that, you know, when we put us all together, it's not always the best thing. The best thing we can do is be spread out. Amen? And so we need to be spread out a little bit. Are we walking the walk? But during the midst of the week, where are we? Walking the walk means moving onward, exerting ourselves, exercising our ability. What's your ability? I don't know what it is. Maybe you work at a foundry. We have the ability to show up on time, Right? You know, you have the ability to, you have the ability to smile. How many have the ability to smile? Why don't you show me? <laughs> I, I have never seen so many you know, people in my lives, except for in the Adventist church. They... <laughs> what is that? What do we accomplish with a sour look on our face? You know, I know when we get older, we get tired and our, our face kind of drops. I know I'm starting to get to that age myself, but I tell you, you want to take 10 years, you want to look 10 years younger, smile. Instantly, you look 10 years younger. Have you ever noticed? You, you look at yourself in the mirror, look at, you know, look at your normal look. <laughs> and then put one of these on your face and see what happens if you don't drop 10 years off your facial expression. Amen. Do you know that that's contagious? When you have a friendly disposition and, and demeanor, people think you're nice. You know, you can fool everybody if you want to. But if you have a smile on your face, people gravitate towards that. And they want to hear what it is, what's inside you that makes you tick? What is it that causes that smile? Where did we get in society that you need to have this sober look on your face? If you take a look at the kids' pictures in, in today's yearbooks, it, it's just, it's amazing. If you look at the transition, have you ever looked in uh, uh, some of these restaurants? My wife eats at this restaurant from time to time at work. Now, listen, I notice it's 12 o'clock, and I have many things to say to you, and I don't think you could bear to hear them all now. So shall I continue? Okay. <laughs> Anyway, we're eating at this restaurant. I'll, I'll try to go through some of these things accelerated as I can. Uh, but we're eating at this restaurant, you know, and up on the board is the high school. Evidently, it's a, it's a, it's a restaurant that is, is an alma mater for some school, and they, they, they have, you know, they're proud of their graduation class. So the graduation class of 1950 and 1951 and 52, all the way through until today's date. During the early 90s, I noticed something. As I watched the expression of the students, especially the young boys, it went from this to their high school graduation picture to this. Have you noticed that? It's cool not to smile. It's cool to look tough, and it's cool to look mean. You know when you're not smiling, when you're just, that's what you look like. You really do. And it's, it's just not 
cool today for some reason to smile. Now, I don't know where that came from. Was that, that come from the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, era where the, you know, the tough guy movies were out and, and there were, you know, we couldn't smile. We could smile as long as we're not getting our picture taken or taken, right? But it's just not cool. And that has bled over into society. The devil wants us to have this look on our face that, you know, you ever want to approach anybody that's got that look on their face? You just don't even talk to them. So you can have a tremendous ministry by putting a little sparkle in your eyes and putting a smile on your face. Can you say amen to that? So anyway, I'll get off of that. Anyway, so exercising ourselves, exercising our ability, you at least have the ability to smile. Try it on for size. See if it uh, doesn't improve your life. Being actively engaged in something. Now, if you only eat, you will get what? Now, a lot of times, we as Adventists, we come to the church and we want to sit, you know, for, you know, the old saying is, is we go out six days of the week, you shall what? Labor and do all your work and then, you know, we're out there six days a week, we're laboring and working and then we're sowing our wild oats, if you will. And then on Sabbath morning, we come to church the only day of the week that we ever come to church on Sabbath morning and we're praying, oh Lord, please, I've been sowing my wild oats all week, I want crop failure. You know, I'm speaking to an agricultural society here in, in the Midwest, and I've been doing it for years. But you know what? We do that as Adventists. Sometimes we do just that. We sow our wild oats during the week. We never do anything about ourselves. And then on Sabbath morning, we're praying for crop failure. And we just and then we sit in our pews. Many Now, I know that this isn't many of you, but I know that many of us sometimes will come to church on Sabbath morning. And as Elder Ron Halverson puts it, we like to sit in a spiritual hot tub. And we like to, you know, uh, you know have some elocution and, and some discussion and and, and conversation during Sabbath school, school class, and we bloviate all that we think we know, and we like to share and hypothesize about what this means and what that means, and we're talking to one another, and we're just sitting in this spiritual hot tub, just blowing bubbles and having this spiritual hot tub, you know, sitting there, blah, 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 and we're just, you know, stewing in this, this human soup. And we're accomplishing nothing but just talking about how brilliant we are, and we love to hear the sound of our own voice. And we're just feeding on spiritual food and we're doing nothing but getting fat. And this is what we end up looking like. (laughs) Fat. I worked an acronym out for it this morning. We pilots, we love acronyms. Let's see if we can find the acronym for fat for Adventists here. What happened to it here? Let's try that. There it is. Final. Adventist trap. We sit and we spiritually engorge ourselves and we do nothing with it. You know, again, like I say, you may not be an evangelist. That's okay. You may not be a public speaker. That's okay. You may not be a Bible worker. You may not be a a, a student of the Bible that's sharing your knowledge the best you can. But what you have, use, man. Don't you not remember the story of the talents? What do you got? What talents do you possess? Surely you at least have one. And I know one that we all have, and that's the one that former mentioned, the ability to smile. Do you know how warm and comforting a simple smile can be to somebody that's in trouble? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever, when, when you're struggling and you're looking for the milk of human kindness, do you go to somebody that has a friendly demeanor or are you looking for somebody with kind eyes? You tell me. You at least have that. And you can always, how many ears do you have? Two ears. How many mouths do you have? It's okay to use them in that order. 
Twice as much listening sometimes is what it takes and half as much talking. Sometimes all somebody needs is a good ear. You can always listen. How many can listen? Now, uh, excluding, of course, my wife is hearing impaired. I know it's tough, but you can read the speech, read, right? You can always listen to somebody. And so exercise that. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have what? Rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know my people, nor uh, nor do they consider. Alas, he says, alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away uh, backwards. Now, Isaiah, long before he allows his gaze to uh, wander forward to the future, he hopes, uh, uh, the hopes and promises that may await God's chosen people, the vision of the prophet is unflinchingly up close and personal. It gets in your face, doesn't it? Current conditions of, uh, of the current conditions of Israel. The first book of Isaiah... Uh, usually is identified uh, through chapters 1 through 39 is, is, is uh, like the First Testament. It's considered the First Testament of, of Isaiah. In these chapters, Isaiah vividly addresses Israel's sin and perhaps apathy. Today, as uh, we read these texts in Isaiah's scroll, we see God wastes no time in letting Israel and perhaps even us know what kind of mood he's in. God is in a mood to get it done. What are we doing? Do we believe Jesus is coming again? Do you know the second part of the name of our church means that we believe that Jesus is coming again? Seventh day what? Adventist. It's all about preparing people for Jesus' coming. Now, again, maybe you don't have the ability to evangelize, but maybe you have the ability to help those that do. And if you have the ability to help those that do, then what are you sitting on? Well, i got to be careful of this. You know, I, I, I might need that. You know, I, I don't want to begrudge anybody's retirement. I'm not asking you to sell and mortgage your homes and, and, and give to the church or give to any institution. But you know what? We can get things done if you help a little bit. If we were all just to help a little bit. Some of you struggle with tithe. What is that? Why on God's green earth are you struggling with tithe? If you are struggling financially and you're not paying tithe, let me suggest that you're not having success financially because you're not paying tithe. I have never seen anybody struggle financially that's been faithful in their tithe. Those of you that pay your tithe that have experienced that, let me hear you say amen. Am I right? If you pay your tithe, your financial problems go away. I've never seen a generous, poor person. Now, they may not have a lot of money, but they're rich, beloved. They're rich. Are you with me? If you're struggling at any level, help finish the work. It's the tithe that takes care of that. Now, we have this North American mentality then I pay my tithe, I should come to church. It's like paying the waitress. I've given my tip. Now serve me, pastor. Right? That's North American mentality. It's, it's, it's just wrong. Do you know his job? It, ha, how many have read the book of Timothy's? The second, you know, first and second Timothy. How many have read that book? Read it again today. Here's your challenge. 
His job as a preacher is to teach you to do the work of the ministry. He's not to do the ministry, or any pastor for that matter. He's to teach you to do the work of the ministry. He's the shepherd, not the sheep, although he's a sheep himself too. The sheep are what breed. Typically, the shepherd doesn't do it. It teaches the sheep and it arranges the, the marriages in the sheep to make sure that there's not, you know, too much, uh, you know, incestuous behavior going on. And it teaches them to go out and breed and make more sheep. And the only way we can do that is get out and open our mouths at some level. Are you with me? And so that's our job. His job is to teach you to do that. But in North America, unfortunately, what we feel is, well, I pay my tithe, I pay this, I pay that. Now serve me. Wow. Sitting in that spiritual hot tub again, getting what? Fat. Fatal Adventist. What was it? What was the T? I changed it a couple of times this morning. I struggled with it, yeah. Threat. Fatal Adventist threat. Okay. God's telling us what kind of mood he's in. Not only are the warnings of judgment and promise of salvation both voiced by the prophet, but within one text itself, judgment and salvation are simultaneously extended from both hands. From the outset, Isaiah's prophecies offer Israel both confrontation and condemnation. But then he offers an alternative path for Israel and or us to follow. God always offers a last-minute option. This is what's going on, but it doesn't have to end this way. Are you with me? It's kind of like on final approach. If something's going wrong, you know, you can do one of two things. If you're on landing, you're on final approach. If things are going sour... You know, it doesn't have to end that way. There's still things you can do. As long as you're airborne, there's something you can do. Am I right, pilots? There's always an alternative. Look for the alternative. Look for God's alternative. And ask yourself, is there something else? Because you can almost see, it doesn't take a mathematical wizard to see where this is going to end. And in your own lives, you can do the same thing. And you know what's sad is even though sometimes we know the outcome of our current behavior, we're going to continue on that same path. And then you'll say something like, well, pastor suggests that we should smile while we do it. Well, now hold on. I didn't say that. Do you know the difference between changing one's attitude versus changing one's paradigm? Changing one's paradigm is, is like this. For you pilots, I'll explain this to you. You're on an approach. You're on an uh, approach for the ILS for runway 36. And you can't, get, you can't get anything centered. You can't get the needle centered. You just, it's just not working. But you're still flying the approach. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I've got to change my altitude. I've got to change my airspeed. I've got to slow it back. I'm not at the 90 uh, knots that I'm supposed to be at. So you change that. But the needles are still not coming in. And so you say, well, I, I, I better look at my map. I better check my heading one more time. And you're, and you're, 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 you're uh, you know, hitting your directional gyro. You're matching it up with the compass. You're looking at it. Now you're checking your coordinates. And it seems like you're in the right spot. But the needles are not lining up. And so you continue to change the attitude of the aircraft. And it's just not working. And then you realize, oh, my goodness. I'm on the GPS approach for runway 12. What's your problem? The problem isn't the attitude. You can change your attitude all day long. The problem is you've got the wrong paradigm. You've got the wrong approach plate in your lap. Now, for what I just said, it's, it's like traveling down the road with a map. And I, if I've got a bad map in front of me, are you with me? If I've got a bad map in front of me, no matter how much I change my speed, no matter how much I diligently turn corners left and right, no matter what I do, I've got a bad map. I can have a great attitude about it. I can speed up, slow down, and all those things that that change the attitude of the automobile, but I'm still not going to get there. Why? 
I got a bad map. A paradigm is a mental roadmap. It's a way of thinking. Some of us need a whole new paradigm. And if you're not accomplishing the things in life that you would like to accomplish both spiritually and uh, structurally in your life, have you considered the possibility that no matter how much you smile about it, that perhaps, just perhaps, you got a bad roadmap? Think about changing the approach plate in your mind, amen? Let's get that approach plate. Let's get, you know, I guess it would be a departure procedure, wouldn't it? So we get to get, get the right sid in our mind. We want to get our standard instrument departure. We want to get it to heaven. Amen? So let's get the, the right departure in mind. Let's head it home for Jesus Christ, and Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Yes or no? Beloved, Jesus is coming again. I don't care how much you sit in your pew with that sour look on your face like you've been sucking on persimmons all day long. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. There's no doubt about it. And there's nothing you can do to stop him. So let's change our paradigm. These words, while recorded by his hands, are understood to have been uttered by divine voice. Furthermore, these words come clearly addressed. They are postmarked for Judah and for Jerusalem and are to be delivered to in the days of Hezekiah. But I suggest that it be delivered in our days as well. Isaiah's purpose is not to describe Israel's historical behavior or her current behavior. It is there for this reason. First, uh, instead, it is the focus upon God's attitude. First, God's anger at Israel for her behavior and bad attitudes. And then on God's offer to bring Israel back into the divine fold. That's if they're willing to change their paradigm. If Israel return in obedience, Israel will return in obedience and Israel will return in obedience. And it's said over and over again, if they will return in God's in their obedience to God. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us, a very small remnant, he says, we would have become like what? Sodom. We would have become made like what? Gomorrah. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay, let's bring this thing to a close. Last verse. This cultic, uh, uh, like inf- uh, uh, infrat- uh, infrat- uh, I'm not saying it right. Infatuation, thank you. For a, <laughs> I got infuriation in my mind. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> This, this cultic-like infatuation for have your cake and eat it too is in our lives. It's, it's embedded. We've got to have everything depicted by verses 10 through 13. Describes a nation with energy and resources. You see, we have enough as such to activate the excessive lives that we are used to, a life that was extremely high in both terms of goods, the sacrifices of expensive animals, and or grain offerings. And I, I see our institutions. Now, I'm not a big... Uh, uh, capital investment man. We don't have a big corporate office and I, we don't have it that way on purpose. Uh, I think it's a waste of money. We, we have borrowed space, um, you know, in our institution. I, I am not interested in building a, uh, you know, a memorial to anybody. If somebody donates some money, I want to build a big hangar. I want to build a functional hangar. I'm not interested in building a hangar that's made out of brick and stone that'll last 4,000 years. I want one that'll last as long as Jesus comes, but I want one that'll get the job done. Keep us warm in the, in, in the wintertime and keep us cool in the summer, yes. 
but I'm not interested in capital investments. And I watch our church sometimes, and I watch as we worry and we fuss over the structure that we have because it's not beautiful enough. Now, wait a while. We want to do something nice for Jesus, amen? And we want it to be visually appealing, but come on. Is it dry in here when it rains? Is it cool in the summer? Is it warm in the winter? Then let's praise the Lord together at what we have, amen? Let's be content with what we have. Let's not fuss over the big extravagant things in life. Are you driving the newest car? Who cares? Really, when it comes down to it, who gives a rip? Do you know who cares whether you're driving a new car or not? You! I could care less. Your neighbor could care less. The most you will do by invoking some sort of emotion if you have something nicer than your neighbor is invoke a little envy. Nobody cares. Is it functional? Amen. Is it going to last? Amen. Buy the best. I agree. Buy something that's going to last. But if you're worried about having the latest and greatest and the best of everything just because you got to have the... You know, I watch our society as... The, you know, I was teasing some, one of our team members this morning. The iPhone phenomenon. It's the world's worst phone. It, have you heard anybody on the other end? The, the speaker on the thing is awful. Now, I am a Mac man top to bottom. You know, mama apple pie. Apple pie. <laughs> I am a Mac man. I use an iPad. I use my Mac. I'm a MacBook Pro guy. But I have watched our family. You know, they got to get the latest iPhone. And it's not really a very good phone. It's cool. It's got a cool factor of a 9.9. Are you ready for this on the Richter scale? There's no doubt it is cool. But it doesn't get the job done. Uh, can you change me to the last slide there? The, you know, the, what is it, 69, I think? What are we upgrading for all the time? My kids tease me. Dad, you gotta, you, you got to get, you know, you, you gotta get the, you, the latest phone. Why? I've got an old dinosaur. It was 19, uh, 2004 I've got. And I keep it. I've got the same plan. I've got four telephones inside of my family. I pay less for unlimited everything. Are you with me? Unlimited everything. I pay less than $150 a month for unlimited everything. You guys that have your iPhones, you pay $150 a month for your iPhone. I got unlimited everything. I can text until I'm blue in the face. I can send picture mail until I'm blue in the face. Am I doing it on a dinosaur? Yep, because I could care less about having the coolest. Does it work? Works as good as yours. I can text. I can, you know, I can, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't have to have the latest and greatest. I want functional. I want accuracy. I want to be able to hear. Are you with me? And so some of us are so busy spending. You know what? Instead of buying next year's iPhone, why not help an institution out? Are you with me? Why not do something good instead of having to have the latest? And that's what we end up doing. So now, bringing it to a close. Here we are, last few verses. Only a disciple brings worship out, uh, only a disciple brings worship outside the church doors. It doesn't matter whether or not your hands go up or down or forward or backwards during church when you sing. What does matter is if your hands go out to others when you stop singing. When you stop worshiping and when you do all these things, worship experiences should be led to changed what? Come on. Lives. Worship experiences transform believers into disciples. And disciples are God's means for what? Transforming the world. Wouldn't you agree? That's what we do. That's what the church does. That's what evangelism does. That's what, now whether you give to Adventist World Aviation or whether you give to Amazing Facts or whether you give to, you know, the Quiet Hour or whether you give to the local church here to do its ministry, you know, I hope you'll help us, you know, I, I, I hope you will, but I really don't care because giving starves selfishness. 
giving starves selfishness. So give a little. Maybe you don't have money. Give of your time. Maybe you don't have any time. Well, what else can you give? Bake a loaf of bread for crying out loud. Amen? Do something. Do something. All right. The church has too many true what? Would you agree with that now? What we need is more what? The church needs more true believers. The church has too few disciples. We need more disciples. Question before we close and pray. Which one will you be? Will you be a disciple or a believer? The devil himself believes, man. Lots of people believe in the Adventist message. It makes absolutely zero difference to them in their lives. What are you going to do with that belief is what's important. Amen? Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir here because I'm speaking to a good church, and I know Pastor Glass, and, and I know, I know you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're his predecessor, and I knew his predecessor before for him. Um, you know, good, good men, good men. Love the Lord, willing to work. Let's work together, amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for loving us. Thanks for helping us. Thanks for helping us become true disciples. And Father, as we reach out, I pray that my words this morning may have stung just a little bit, but stung in the right areas to help us, if need be, have a change of paradigm. And I know that there are those that only need to change their attitude. I know that they have the right paradigm. Father, they've got the right roadmap, but they're doing it with with just a a difference of attitude. Maybe we just need an encouragement. And so, Father, I pray that I've encouraged those that need encouragement. And, Father, for those that, that need a complete change of thinking, a way of thinking, Father, this morning I I pray that the words here have have caused them to rethink their overall life's behavior and maybe blame it on the the paradigm that they have and switch that quickly before it's too late. So I pray for your blessing. I pray that each one here, including myself, Father, I've got nothing on these. I'm just like them. In fact, I'm worse than them. I pray that you'll help me, but help me to help them and help them to help one another. We love you and we thank you. And it is in Jesus' name we pray and we all say, Amen. God bless. Thanks for having us.